morning. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. We are glad that you are here, glad that you are coming in the sanctuary, glad that we get to uh, worship in the presence of our Lord. And I have a lot of announcements. So the main thing I want to make sure you know is that you're on Church Center app. So I hope that you're there because you'll be able to check everything out I say and uh, everything you forget that I say, you can find it on there. Today is a big day. We have our giving tree, presents, gifts, all of that is, uh, we ask you to bring that back today, put it over here in the library behind the coffee corner. And uh, if you forgot that, then you can check in with Matt Ward and see when you can bring it this week. They're going to get wrapped um, at the end of the next week uh, and then delivered. So uh, we definitely need everything here, but they'll start working on it this week to kind of categorize and everything, get it all set up. And then uh, after the worship gathering, we have a lunch uh, parent equipping seminar in uh, the great room. And uh, we still, we, we ordered a couple of extra lunches so we can take some more people if you want to come uh, and that's uh, with our candidate and then um, this week we have Friday night game night family night uh, everybody's welcome to join in the great room and uh, enjoy some board games and fellowship together Saturday is the encourage her uh, meeting the gatherings that they have once a month uh, for our women and it's a great time to come and get to know other women and discuss um, issues about life and just enjoy each other and let me see where else we are our uh, Christmas Eve service want to make sure that you are reminded about that our five o'clock uh, kind of lessons and carols Christmas Eve with a candle lighting to uh, close it out and that's five o'clock on Christmas Eve so I think we're all uh, caught up on most things. There's actually more than I told you for the, over the next two or three weeks, but we'll keep uh, blasting you with emails. And as I said, please get on Church Center app to check all that out. You have been praying. We've been praying for uh, our candidate. Uh, Adam is here with us. And, and uh, Adam, you want to just wave uh, back here? Yeah. So uh, Adam, we're glad you're here. And uh, Adam will be leading our, uh, teaching our Sunshine Kids Club, and they'll be dismissed uh, later in the service. Would you join me in prayer as we begin? Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being here. And Jesus, we thank you that you are present. And we ask for the grace to be able to give you the honor and glory you deserve, to praise you wholeheartedly. We ask for the uh, joy of being in your presence. And we ask that you would connect with us right where we are. We all come in with different issues and different relationships and different circumstances in our lives. And we need you. We want you to know that. And we ask that your spirit would be at work in us today. And we offer this worship to you as a gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
Believe his throne 
sending your son for us. We thank you that we can come together and celebrate um, the coming of our Messiah. Father, be with us this morning. Draw us close to you. Teach us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're one of our kiddos, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. And if you're one of our guests, please feel free to take your kiddo there and get them checked in and then come back and join us. Good morning, everyone. I decided to kick a rather stout rocking chair yesterday, so now I'm on a, gonna sit on this thing. My foot's all swollen and purple. Um, if I knew a doctor, I'd take my shoe off and let him look at it in here, but all the doctors I knew are retired, so couldn't, didn't wanna bother. Every year about this time, we always say, man, it just flew by. But this year, I feel like it did. And it seemed like it was just not that long ago that, that we had the Super Bowl. And maybe you didn't pay attention to the NFL last year, but I still watched it. And uh, it was kind of historic because if you know who Tom Brady is, and even if you don't pay attention, you at least know who he is. Um, they always say don't use sports analogies because it like cuts off half the people. But he's one of those guys that I feel like everybody at least knows who he is. And uh, if you know the story, he, uh, he reigned supreme at the, at, with New England for so long. And then last year, he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they ended up still going to the Super Bowl, and he still ended up winning. And they had uh, T-Mobile put together an ingenious, I thought, uh, commercial. And uh, I wanted to bring that back because it's actually pretty appropriate to what we're talking about this morning. Um, so if you remember the backstory, Gronkowski was one of his teammates in New England, and he retired. And then he ended up coming out of retirement to play with him in, at Tampa Bay. I happened to like Gronkowski because he went to the University of Arizona. Um, but he, uh, uh, they did this really funny commercial about how that whole thing ended up. Um, and so I wanted to, I wanted to play it uh, to kind of get our discussion started this morning in, in First Thessalonians. So we can, we can throw that up there. 
Bronk. What up, TB? What do you think my next move should be? Give it to me straight. Maybe it's just time I hang him up. I got one word for you. Retirement. If you retire now, you're going to be walking on soft sand in a week. Just come to Florida and feel the wind in your hair. Retirement is like winning another one. Maybe I'll even join you. On a spotty network, this is what Tom heard. If you retire now, you're soft and weak. Just come to Florida and win another one. Maybe I'll even join you. Just go win another one. Like it's that easy, Kronk. Maybe it is. I still feel like I have a lot to accomplish. My goal is to win one more. And Gronk's coming with me. I'm retired from retiring? Mom! Where are my football pants? Don't trust big decisions to just any network. Go with T-Mobile, the go in 5G. And I'm not soft or weak either. I happen to be with T-Mobile, and I would, I would vastly contradict the, uh, the, the statements there that their network is great. Um, I've been with them forever, and I just don't move because it's more difficult to move than to just stay. But talking about communication and miscommunication, and, and we're talking about uh, being led by the Spirit this morning in our communication with the Spirit. And I, I find that uh, sometimes we, we go and we pray when big decisions like, like he's talking about are coming up, um, and we think we hear, we think we don't know, and pretty soon we, we come to the conclusion that we're just on a really unreliable network. And so we kind of discount the spirits leading in our lives altogether, and we we go off other other ways of communicating, and and and, and similar to Tom, we, we find uh, other other ways of of hearing the message, and 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 then we get a little frustrated maybe, um, and. We're getting at the end of our study in, in First Thessalonians, and Paul's just kind of giving out these last-minute uh, nuggets of information. And this one we're looking at today, uh, even though it's short, has a very uh, strong um, place in our walk with God and how we interact with him, uh, talking about living spirit-sensitive lives. And so really our kind of statement for today is that when the gospel takes root, we can live a spirit-sensitive life. And what do I mean by that? And maybe you've heard other ways of putting it. Uh, spirit-led and, and, and filled and all that stuff. I, I like the term spirit-sensitive because I, I feel like that's being sensitive to uh, however the spirit wants to interact with you, however the spirit wants to lead you, speak to you, guide you in your life. Uh, we need to be sensitive to the spirit because the spirit uh, very rarely will just walk up and smack you upside the head. He's going to use his word. He's going to use uh, communication with you in your heart. He's going to uh, speak through other people, uh, through the community of Christ. Uh, through your situation, through your pain. Uh, and, and if we are not sensitive to what he's trying to communicate, we can completely miss the message. And, and like Tom and uh, Gronkowski, just get it all mixed up and come up to a completely different conclusion. So let's look at what, what, why Paul is saying what he's saying to the Thessalonians. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 19, 21, 20, 21, and 22. We're just a few short verses there uh, as he's wrapping things up. Uh, and I'm going to read it all together, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit, and then kind of jump off to the Christmas story, actually, because it's, it's uh, very similar in, in this, how the Spirit moved in certain people's lives, and some were sensitive to the, to the Spirit's Others were a little bit more doubtful. And uh, so read with me verse 19. It says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Uh, 
Now, if you know and remember uh, the, some of the major themes and context of, of the letter, in particular, chapter 5 and chapter 4, was all about end times and coming of the Lord. And there's an understanding and an undercurrent here that apparently this church in uh, Thessalonica had received some uh, what was called a word from God about it that maybe kind of messed up some things for some of them. And so Paul had to redirect their thoughts and their theology. But many, uh, as they read these, these v- verses I just read, are, are kind of, there's an implication that maybe because they found they couldn't trust people that would walk in the door and say, well, God said to say this, that they just basically said, well, we just got to throw it all out. There's, there's no prophetic word. There's no spirit leading. We're just going to go with what we feel like we're supposed to do. And, and so they, they felt like the, the network was unreliable, that God had set up for communicating with the early church. You remember, as they are reading scripture here, as Paul writes it through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, that the early church did rely heavily on the prophetic gifts and people stepping up. And, and, and that's why Paul had to outline all the, all the uh, procedures and protocols on if someone was to walk into our church and say, God said this, there had to be some confirmation because otherwise you had people just saying an opinion and, and, and deciding this was what was happening. And so there was still had to be order to it. And, and it kind of went off the rails when disorder was brought in. But at the same time, what we see here is apparently the other side of basically uh, the church just saying, well, we just are not going to be sensitive to what the spirit is saying. And, uh, and just kind of say none of, none of the, you know, people coming in and communicating that God is using uh, are valid. And so we're, we're trying to read this and kind of stay in the middle of the road and say, okay, we got to stay within the order and the set of what God has given us and through his word and the spirit within us. Um, but also we got to also stay away from that thought that the spirit is not active and alive and, and, and that we just go off of, off of our, uh, intellectual understanding of God's word. Cause the spirit still uses scripture. He still uses the body of Christ in our lives to communicate his will in our life. And so we want to know, first of all, uh, we're not supposed to quench the spirit. So what does that mean? That, uh, it's, it's a short phrase, but such an important one, uh, quenching. It's, it's a literal description of putting out a fire. And, and we know that in the early church, all the way down into the, the Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit came and, and kind of rushed in, it was described as tongues of fire. And so the Holy Spirit was always been uh, described as the fire, right? Fire within us, that, that fire of conviction, fire of understanding. And quenching that, it would be just like walking up and dumping a bucket of water on your campfire. So whatever they were doing in this church, in their interaction with the Spirit, Paul is describing as a quenching, a, a putting out of what the spirit was trying to do. So whether it was doubt, whether it was distrust, maybe, uh, they kind of had already put God in a box and then understanding how God works. And then all of a sudden God was leading their church in a direction that they didn't like. And it went against what they had decided God was capable of doing. Um, and, and, and so their quenching of the spirit was essentially saying, no, God doesn't work in those kinds of people or God doesn't do those kinds of things. And it's still going on today, right? We still have those that we kind of in our mind say, oh, that's outside the bounds of what God does. Oh, God wouldn't do that with me. God wouldn't send me there. God wouldn't have me talk to that person. God wouldn't have me, you know, take that sacrifice. God wouldn't, you know, and, and so we have this long list of things that God doesn't do. 
And, and, and we have to be careful with that. And, and so Paul's words still ring true today to making sure that we are not walking around with a wet blanket. Uh, anytime the spirit wants to use us in some way and throwing it on there and saying, nah, no, I just don't want to listen to that. I don't want to hear that because uh, I just would prefer the spirit not tell me to do that. Uh, so he gives some very interesting direction here because he says, don't quench the spirit do not despise prophecies. Now, when you were reading that, you might've thought this was referring to, uh, say, Old Testament prophecies, but that is really not what this is talking about. This is talking about a very clear understanding of how God was using the prophetic gifts in the early church. Now, again, this comes back to the idea that this nice, well-bounded Bible that I get to use right now wasn't around then, right? Paul, John, Peter, they're writing scripture as this word is going out. And so many of these communities that Paul goes out and starts, these young churches, and then he has to leave them, he is entrusting them to the Spirit's direction. That when he sees people uh, trust Christ and he kind of develops a leadership and he kind of tags someone and says, okay, now you're, you're leading it from here on out. And then they would send letters back. And some of those letters are the letters that were recognized very quickly as being scripture. And, uh, and in fact, Peter makes reference that a lot of Paul's letters are already, were already being bound together and, and putting on the same shelf as the, as the Old Testament scrolls. You know, there was some equivalency and an understanding that God's word was going out in written form. But there was also an understanding that in these small communities dealing with major issues of Gentiles coming to Christ and having no understanding of the God of the Bible, that there had to be a very strong presence of the Spirit communicating to saying, this is where we're supposed to go and this is where we're not supposed to go. And so there was a heavy understanding and a heavy reliance on discernment from the Spirit. And an understanding that each and every person that truly trusts Jesus has the Holy Spirit come to reside within them and now has what Jesus described as the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit that was going to come in and come alongside and help to tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. Remember, Jesus gave that promise. Don't worry about what you need to say when you get brought in before governors and magistrates and, and people start to accuse you. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to say when you need to say it. We were told that the encourager would come and help us and comforter. Those are all words describing the Holy Spirit that lives within you. It also says that you have the power of the resurrection within you. These are some very strong words to describe the Holy Spirit who lives in you and wants to guide and interact us. So our cooperation or submission to the spirit is very important. And if we, if we live our lives within a automatic quench mode, I guess you could say, um, we're really restricting what the Holy spirit could possibly do with us. If we've, if we've already decided God only works in this, this narrow way in my life. So he says, do not despise the Holy spirit's work in your life. Do not despise the prophecies that, 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 and I understand again, the, the term prophetic gift. Some of you, that scares you. And you're thinking, what? Well, it is on the list. <laughs> it's on the list of, of, of uh, but it isn't always what we think of and is, is in Elijah walking in the room and telling us what's going to happen a hundred years from now, right? That's, that was a prophet. <laughs> that was a prophet that God used in a particular time and place. But is, have you ever had someone come in to you and say, you know, God just wanted me to communicate this to you. Just, God just said, you need encouragement right now. Well, that was God using someone to speak through the Holy Spirit into your life. 
Have you ever felt that need? Have you ever felt, I really should go over and talk to that person? I really should say this to that person. Have you ever decided not to? I know it's, it's kind of convicting, right? There are times when I've thought and I've driven by some, walked right by some, and I, I just felt this strong pull. I was supposed to drop my schedule, drop my plan, and go talk to that person, but I didn't. I feel like looking back, that was quenching the spirit in what I was doing because I had decided, no, that doesn't line up with what I had planned for the day, right? So apparently this was happening enough in the church that Paul had to say some things. And so right off the bat, it's, hey, the spirit is still at work, but we need to have discernment. And the, the filter of which he describes the discernment is this. He says, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, we have the best situation in all of history, that we have God's word in print as far as what is good and what is evil right in front of us. And in every form of language you could find, you have all these uh, ways of, of studying it online. You have teachers that you can hear from. We, we are not lacking in biblical understanding and content. We should be the most informed group of believers, generation of believers to ever live. We therefore should be the best at discerning the spirit's work in our lives, right? Shouldn't, are we in agreement with that? Discernment should be a high, we should experience, be experiencing a high level of discernment. So does anyone think that we're experiencing a high level of discernment today? So yeah, we're, so we're, we're getting some conflicting nods going on. So we have, we have the spirit, we have the gospel who gives us freedom. We have God's will for us. His will doesn't change. And so we can trust when we feel like the spirit is leading us in a direction, we can begin to say, okay, does it conflict God's written word? Because I'm supposed to abstain from evil and hold to what is good. And I have heard, and you have heard people stand up and say, well, God led me to commit adultery. He, he led me to leave my, you know, he led me to be irresponsible with this money. He led me to do this. Well, that's where we're saying, okay, there's some lack of discernment going on because there are other conflicting voices, right? <laughs> we just got done before First uh, Thessalonians talking about putting on the armor of God. We know that the, the enemy shoots fiery darts of temptation our way. And so we know that there is a contradicting spirit out there that will seek to pull us away from the body of Christ, seek to isolate, seek to confuse. Those are all things that happen contrary to the spirit of God. And so we do have what we need for discernment. But I don't know about you, I still feel like when there's those major decisions that come along that I say, you know, God, if you could just like send an angel down and kind of lay it out to me straight, that would be awesome. And I would be much more likely to trust you and move forward with whatever you want for me to do if you did that. Anybody think that would be a better plan? If, if we went with that network instead of the Holy Spirit, God would just like send out messengers? So turn over to Luke 1, and we're going to see if that's true or not. If, uh, when Luke, we lead, we're going to read in Luke 1 and see if the, uh, if the angel messenger always works out to plan. Some of you know where we're going with this. But we, uh, in Luke chapter 1, before Jesus' birth is foretold, we're going to have the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. And his dad, Zechariah, 
starting about verse 8. Well, 5 and Five through seven, we get introduction to Elizabeth and Zachariah. They're an elderly couple. They're supposed to, when you read that, you're supposed to think Abraham and Sarah. And I was supposed to think Abram and Sarah, that an older couple, childless, had been praying for years to have a child. Uh, and now we're going to see God do a miracle in their lives. And he's going to send an angel to communicate what he's about to do. Now understand, Zechariah is a priest and he's been given opportunity to, to go in once he, to the, you know, voted in. This is a, the high pinnacle of his career to be able to go in before the presence of God uh, in, the, in the temple. And it is at that moment that an angel shows up and says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. They're going to be answered. You're going to have a baby. So, okay, the scenario we just laid out. An angel actually comes and word, you know, visible angel, words spoken, no, no need to wonder whether this is from God or not. So we're going to read in verse 18, and I'm going to have these up on the screen for you of Zechariah's response. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you. And to bring you this good news and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So, okay. So my confidence that I would respond correctly to God's message to an angel maybe isn't a hundred percent tied up. Maybe I would still look around and say, wait, God, but that's impossible. That can't happen. He's a priest that teaches God's word and he knows the story of Abraham he knows how God used an elderly couple to bring about a miraculous birth. And in that situation, the story's reversed. Remember, it was Sarah that laughed. It was Sarah that doubted. And in fact, they named him Isaac. Because why? What does Isaac mean? Laughter, right? Because Sarah responded with laughter. Laughter that was a doubt, right? Do we ever do that? We ever laugh at the Spirit's leading like, God, you wouldn't do that. You're not doing that. I don't want to do that. That's the next, it's like stages of, of quenching, I guess. It's like denial. We laugh first and then we, then we get mad. So the angel says, okay, that was sign enough for you that I am an actual angel standing here in front of you in the place where you probably should have expected to hear from God. Right, when you're in the middle of prayer and you actually hear from God, you're like, nah, couldn't have happened. So the angel says, now you're going to be silent and unable to speak. Now, some people have wondered what's going on here because he gets out and people start using sign language, which I guess was before the American Sign Language Association. They must have had some. They're signing, they're doing things. And wait, is he mute or is he deaf? Well, it says be silent and unable to speak. And that silent idea there, it's silent for him. <laughs> so things are going to be silent for him. He's going to have opportunity to ponder, to meditate on his response to the spirits leading in his life for a while. Nine months, actually. Um, also, I don't know if there's a coincidence that he now could no longer talk and then they get pregnant. So I don't know how his relationship with his wife was going before that. Um, now, a, f a few months later, that some of that getting of that one was like slow. Finally got to the back of the room. Now we're going to see round two on how how we're supposed to respond to the spirit. 
Uh, so we know the, the more famous one in the Christmas time is the, the story of Mary, right? We know Mary's situation, teenage girl, uh, engaged to, to Joseph, um, a, a virgin. And um, if, if you have kids in the room, you can explain that to them later when they ask. So we know that the angel shows up and says, you are going to have a baby. And it's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to, you know, it's a tremendous announcement. How does Mary respond in verse 34? And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now understand, uh, some people discount the Bible and they say, oh, those simple people just didn't know how things worked. Well, she knew how babies were made. This wasn't an issue of a, you know, that, that her mom just didn't teach her yet. You know, she was a young girl, but not that young. And so she understood what was going on. These two extremes, you have this elderly couple that hears this is about to happen. How can this be? And, uh, and then another uh, a young virgin that says, no, that's, that's not possible. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So the question that comes up often is, how come the angel doesn't rebuke Mary? Why Zachariah? Well, there's, there's an understanding of scripture and how we read it, that tone does not always get communicated in the printed word, right? We don't, we don't know attitude. We don't know sarcasm. We just, we just have words. Uh, we don't know their heart. But I would point out this. So he says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. There's this reasoning. My wife is old. She says, how will this be done? You could put in there. Since I am a virgin. Both recognize the limitations, the human limitations at work here. But Mary seems to respond in a sense of wonder, a sense of curiosity, a sense of, wow, the Holy Spirit's about to do something crazy. I can't wait to find out how this is going to happen. There's a trust there's a, I get it, this seems impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I just, I just can't wait to find out what's going to happen. With Zechariah, it's a, we can, you know, the impl implication based on the angel's response is that it wasn't a question of wonder. It was a question of doubt. It was a question of, well, that's impossible. You must have showed up to the wrong guys. You know, it was, you're, at the, you're at the wrong house. You know? <laughs> so you get these two conflicting responses. But yet Mary in verse 38, she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your work. And the angel departed from her. You get a little bit more involvement in the story as you keep going. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So she was told that Elizabeth is going to be part of the story. Now, think about this for a second. You have this young teenage girl, and, and we talk about this every Christmas. You know, what would she have been going through? What would have been going through her mind? We already know it caused a fight with her and Joseph. Joseph was planning on divorcing her. Uh, we already know that it would have been a major social, a lot of social pressure going on. And, and, and a lot of temptation maybe to, to flee, to not trust God, to, to get away from the scorn and so she went to Elizabeth because she heard Elizabeth is going to be a part of this story. And we're going to see some confirmation and encouragement of the Spirit's communication through Elizabeth. In verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What would it have been like for Mary to hear such confirmation from the Spirit? Yeah, she had an angel come in and then it all happened as the angel said it would. But then she also all got all the pushback and the, and the discouraging words. And so she goes and she gets confirmation from another believer, another God follower who has also experienced the spirit work in her life. What if Elizabeth had said, I am not going to say anything because there's no way that could be happening. I'm not going to, I'm going to withhold my encouraging words. What if she had quenched the spirit and Mary instead would have walked away discouraged? Seems like such a, an active time in the work of the spirit. And we can read this and say, wow, but he just doesn't do that anymore. Well, I think he does. Yes, he doesn't bring about virgin births anymore. That was a one-off. There wasn't any need for that anymore. But he does communicate to us encouraging words that someone needs to hear. Puts you in just the right place at just the right time. But if we're living a life where we are not sensitive to the Spirit's leading, we maybe miss that opportunity. Now, what about Zechariah? He's been quiet all this time, right? He's had to sit and contemplate. And I think had a little bit of a breakthrough in his conversation with the spirit, because the next thing we hear after John is born, skipping all the way to verse 67, you see he is suddenly able to talk. And the first thing he says is this song of prophecy about John and about the Messiah coming. And in verse 67, and the father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So you see that he is beginning to connect the dots with scripture that he knew well, with what the spirit was doing. And so you see Mary confirming the word through other believers and you see Zechariah confirming the word through God's written word. You see both of these things happening and then you start to see breakthroughs of trust and faith and him calling out in worship and being able to say, okay, I, I was quenching the spirit. I didn't believe what the spirit was doing because it just seemed so impossible. But now I begin to see that this is exactly what God has been setting Israel up for centuries, that now I get to be a part of that plan. And my distrust almost kept me from being able to enjoy this, right? And that's what the other side of it, when you, when you really listen to the spirit and you really begin to say, okay, wow, the spirit's using me in this person's life. And then you see the fruit of that. You think, what if I had passed on that? What if I had said no, you know, but I get to be a part of this. That's, it's an amazing thing. So the question is, what are we talking about, about the spirit and the Holy spirit? And maybe if you're, if you're wondering that I want to, I want to just throw a, a few quick verses to you out of Ephesians. We know in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we're told that that's, that the Holy spirit be, takes up residence in our life when we come to trust him. Right? Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, when you heard the word of truth and you believed, the spirit came and you were sealed with the spirit. And he calls the spirit a deposit, a down payment of our inheritance of the full understanding of the glory of God. So when we say the spirit lives in you, it's, it's, it's kind of like giving you that appetizer, that taste of, of true interaction with God, of what it'll be like to see him face to face without all that other stuff filtering out. The network suddenly gets way better, right? But 
Jesus said, if I don't go, you won't, you don't get to have the Holy Spirit. So that trick question of, would we rather have Jesus leading us around or the Holy Spirit within us? And people say, I would love to follow Jesus around. And the answer is no. Jesus said it was better for you to have the Holy Spirit because all of us get the Holy Spirit, right? We all get the Holy Spirit interacting. But apparently a little later in Ephesians in chapter four, there's a problem because although we have the spirit within us, in verse 30 of chapter four, Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So we have this two things in scripture that seem to get in the way of, of living a spirit sensitive life. We can quench the spirit and we can grieve the spirit. And from my understanding of it and reading, reading uh, scripture, and it, it would seem to me it's an accurate statement to say that if we do not grieve the spirit, then we're less like, or if we do not quench the spirit, we're less likely to grieve the spirit. Just think about that. If, if you don't quench the Spirit's work in your life, you're living a more Spirit-sensitive life, that means uh, your discernment level is a little higher. You're less likely to engage in things that he lists here. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, things that grieve the Spirit. So we want to think about our Christmas story and Elizabeth and Mary and Zachariah and the words that Paul gives to the Thessalonians. And I got four thoughts on this, how we can avoid quenching the spirit that I wanna, wanna wrap things up with. Um, the first one that we're gonna put up is, we're, we're not supposed to quench the spirit, right? So don't quench the fire, feed the fire, right? So if you've ever been camping, you have a fire and someone's job, right? So it was one of the kids, right? Go get firewood, gotta keep this fire going. And we all have a common experience of what happens with fire. So you build it up and it's going really well. Does it stay, does it, does it stay that way? Isn't that why Moses' burning bush was such, such an oddity? Was it, how does it describe the burning bush? It burned, but it didn't consume the bush. It just kept, well, that's not normal. Normally, when you, when you have a fire going, there's this point uh, which is just burning great. You got to keep feeding it. You got to keep, keep feeding it. I believe uh, as I read scripture, the best way to feed the fire within us of the Holy Spirit engagement with us is, is our worship and, an, and a sense of expectancy. It's, it's an understanding that, yeah, at any moment, the Holy Spirit could be communicating to me. It's difficult when we live such busy lives that we don't make room for our worship of God, personal worship of, of prayer and proclamation and praise and and reading his word and, and praying it back to him and interacting with it. And that we get so busy that the expectation seems to drop. And then, and then that just gets reinforced by how little we experience the spirits leading in our life. And we say, well, I guess, I guess it's just not me. That's not my thing. You begin to increase your worship, personal worship. I promise you, you, you begin to go to him in conversational prayer more often, begin to make room, carve out room, more room in your heart for him to invade. Suddenly that sensitivity goes up and suddenly every day, the Holy Spirit's kind of nudging you and say that person, do this, stay away from that. <laughs> uh, and we begin to live that spirit sensitive life. So I think we need to feed that fire. Think about how Mary and Zachariah interacted. Uh, 
Zechariah went in to do his priestly duties. Sorry, that was a uh, little movie reference there. And he's surprised that God talks back. And I, and I have to ask myself, when I go to scripture as the individual priesthood of the believer is exhibited in, in my interaction with scripture, and I go not expecting to hear God talk back, how often I am quenching the spirit's work in my life, right? As opposed to Mary and Elizabeth, who are just going about their ordinary lives, they're not in any particular situation where they should be surprised to hear or see an angel show up or, or have any unique play in God's kingdom plan. And yet their response is, okay, I'm your servant. Let's see how this is going to work out. And I'm really encouraged by that to think, okay, in my ordinary life, just going through life, I should just live with that sense of expectancy and feed that fire and say, spirit, you are within me. And I know you have the ability to work at any time, even when I'm in a rush and I'm trying to get somewhere in time, that could be that moment when the spirit says, slow down. I have something for you. Don't miss it. The second thing I think we need to do is we need to study for the test to know and experience God's word. We see that eventually the dots connected for Zechariah. And you, I, I would really encourage you to go back to that Luke 1 passage where Zechariah just proclaims uh, this, this prophetic word about what the role of John the Baptist, about the Messiah to come. And it's like he'd been spending all that time in thought and in, in meditation and prayer, maybe going back and rereading Isaiah, rereading some of the Psalms, some of the mess messianic prophecies. And he's like, okay. I'm getting it now. Now, the question is, he knew all that stuff before. Why did the spirit, why, why was he so quick to ignore or distrust or have doubt when an angel shows up and says, you've been praying and you've been talking about this. It's going to happen. Well, all I can think is all that time that he spent studying for this test that he hadn't been doing it from a sense of experiential understanding, right? We can have head knowledge of scripture, but it takes the spirit's work to have experiential understanding of scripture where we live it out, where we prove his promises true. Are we supposed to do that every day? Prove that his promises are true. I think we need to know and apply God's word, proving his promises, having open hearts. So the, the third thing is similar read to listen. And I I've, this year has really been a, this has been a big deal for me uh, an understanding that I need to read to listen I need to ask God, what will you have for me today? Show me something new today. Engage in the Holy Spirit, right? We like, for those of you who have kids, how exhausting it is to always be the one going to them and saying, okay, how was your day today? Prying it out of them. What'd you do? You know, you dropped them off somewhere and then you saw them five hours later or whatever. What'd you do? Nothing. For eight hours at school, you didn't do anything. How was, how was Sunshine Kids Club? That's fine. What'd you do? I don't know. <laughs> and it's, it's trying. Well, reverse that. The Holy Spirit constantly trying to engage with us. Oh, it's fine. Nothing. Good. So maybe read to listen as we read it. Say, God, what are you going to show me today? How are, how are you, as I go through the day, what are you, interact with the Holy Spirit. Read to listen. Mary and Zechariah essentially ask the same question, but with completely different attitudes, completely different tones and with different responses, <laughs> And then the last one, I think, 
is we need to confirm in community exactly what Mary did. I really feel like there was probably a lot of, a lot of pressure, a lot of discouragement, a lot of maybe doubts starting to creep up. Because even when we really get a message from God about what we're supposed to do in a situation, time tends to make those words get a little harder to hear. And God really spoke to you in this moment, and then it's been years now, and we're thinking, okay, God said this was going to happen, but I haven't seen it yet, and I'm starting to wonder. And that's really, uh, we see that throughout Scripture. see that with David, right? He was anointed king as a young boy, and then nothing. And then he's being hunted, and then he's nearly dying, and he's hiding in caves. You got to wonder those thoughts were coming up. And so Elizabeth goes to confirm what the angel had said with someone else. And she gets it. She gets that confirmation. I think the voices of shame were getting pretty loud. And so she needed to kind of hear again the voice of the spirit. And I guess that's the thing I want to end on with this, because that's what Paul says. We need to have discernment, right? Test the spirits. Don't just say God, spirit can't talk to you, but test it. Because there are other spirits that are seeking to isolate, seeking to shame, seeking to discourage. And when we are grieving the spirit and we're quenching the spirit, sometimes that's when the enemy loves to jump in with those voices. And let me just say that the best test when it comes to this is the spirit's never going to lead you somewhere contrary to scripture and he's never going to isolate you. And so often we run into issues, you know, conflict or we have a problem and, and it's run. The spirit, I just leave. It's easier to leave and start over somewhere else. You know, when the church began, there was one church in every village or town. And, and so there was a lot of talk in scripture about you got to make this thing work, right? Make it work. Don't just run. Don't just move on with life because that's, you know, the other way that you can quench a fire, you can dump a bucket of water on it. But what's the other thing you can do? You can spread out all the coals, spread out all the embers. And when you take that ember out of the fire and put it over there, it slowly dies. It's still quenching it, though. You're taking it away from its heat source and its energy source. And then you can take those same embers that are slowly dying and scoop them back up and suddenly they're hot again and they start to burn again. And so if, if you are hearing messages of just, yeah, just stop going to church. That's where all the problems are. <laughs> just live your life. That is not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's the enemy that wants to isolate and destroy and confuse. Now, if you want, for me, this has been a thing for me all year. Studying scripture about hearing from God, listening to the spirit. And, and, and uh, I'd actually thought of that. And then someone actually gave me a, uh, a devotional that was called Hearing His Voice. It's by Chris Teigen. And it's a daily 365 devotional. He puts those out all the time. Um, and uh, and it, was, it was all about spending every day looking at what scripture has to say about hearing God. So if you, want to, if you want to spend next year doing that, I would suggest look that up. It's a great resource. Chris Teigen, Hearing His Voice. And he just goes through all the different passages of Scripture where you see God communicate to people and how, how our attitudes and, and behaviors and things and how we respond um, to react to that. But as this Christmas season continues, I will, I will end on this, that, that how much greater time to kind of increase our sensitivity to what the Spirit is leading you to do 
uh, even the watching world out there, the non-Christian world seems to think it's a time for charity, right? So I'm so thankful for you guys with the Giving Tree. That's always such an encouragement. Um, we have people that are going to be going out to deliver some of these presents to, to Parmley. What a great time to be sensitive to the Spirit and, and something to say to encourage some of those families. But we are all probably going to be interacting with people we don't normally interact with. And there's going to be a sense of just get through it. Just put my head down. <laughs> just ignore that guy. Don't listen to this guy, you know. But maybe the Spirit has other plans for this Christmas season for you and how you interact with people around you that are far from God. Let's pray. We thank you for the fact that you have not left us alone, that Jesus did not ascend and say, good luck. But he did send the helper. He sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence in our life. And now every day we can say, what do you have for me today? What new word? What new thing? What, what do I need to leave behind? So many things that the Spirit does in our life. So let us live spirit-sensitive lives. Help us to uh, remove any wet blankets or buckets of water we like to keep around handy to throw on the fire anytime it gets too uncomfortable. And I thank you for this season and this testimony of Mary and Elizabeth and eventually Zechariah of what happens when you do live a spirit-sensitive life and what amazing things God can do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?